1 Timothy chapter 6. Most of you know and understand that the Apostle Paul was giving mentorship to this young man, Timothy. We've all heard it said that we all ought to have a Paul in our life. And I hope that even in this school, you have some people that you would claim as mentors for your life, a Paul that's pouring into your life. And by the way, that never stops. I still have uh, several people in my life that are my Paul. They're, they're people that I call. They're ones that I uh, respect their counsel and I want their leadership in my life. But every one of us also ought to be pouring into somebody else, and that's the Timothy. So everybody should be a part of discipleship as well. But what wonderful books that are challenging to us um, all here today, but especially to a younger generation, because we know that Paul was exhorting Timothy as a young man because it says, let no man despise thy youth. Now, how many of you claim you're in your youth? And everybody's hand is going up. I see some of the older folks in the back including me, I'm an older guy now, I'm turning 50. Whoa, this next year. My wife turned 50 before me, so it's okay. We had, we had a celebration of that just last week. She turned 50 on November 25th, on, the, on uh, three days after my grandmother turned 100. And uh, we, we celebrated a 100th birthday and then a 50th birthday. And it's interesting, at the, uh, the home where my grandmother lives, a lady came to our carol sing. All of our family was there, extended family was there, and we had a carol sing, and we invited all the people in the, in the retirement home. And uh, my grandmother said, said to me, this lady over here is 110, 110. And uh, she turns 111 on Christmas Day. I had to snap a picture of that, and I turned to my grandmother, and I said, Gigi, you're not, you're not old. She's old. <laughs> 110, I don't know if I've ever met somebody that old. So it was pretty, pretty interesting. But anyway, everybody claims that they're youth, but you college young people, young people, see I said it, you are in your youth. This is a great text for young people. First and Second Timothy should be books that should be real challenge to you. But this is also a good text for another reason, and that is that Paul was exhorting Timothy as a young preacher. How many of you men long to be a preacher someday? Praise the Lord. So this is a good text for you as well and for all of us that are in the ministry because Paul is exhorting Timothy as a preacher. Now, most believe, Bible scholars believe that the books of 1 and 2 Timothy were possibly the last, or if not the last, some of the last books that the Apostle Paul wrote. He's like leaving himself behind in somebody else. That's a great thing to remember as, as I get older and some of you men that are in older, the older generation, ministry never stops. Just keep pouring into people all the way to the end. And, and Paul did that. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we're going to look, we're going to a place where he challenges them very pointedly about some very important things. The title of the message this morning is just Back to the Basics. Say it together. Back to the basics. Years ago, I started playing sports. How many of you like sports out there? All right, I'm a sports nut. I love sports. Keeping sports in the right priority was a challenge throughout my uh, high school and college years and making sure that God was first, not sports. That's something that's very important. And uh, uh, football, not football first, but God first, right? But I did enjoy a lot of sports. So I played soccer and basketball and, and, and other sports. But in particular, I remember learning very young, the basics are what make you good at a sport. Trapping and passing make you a good soccer player. If you learn how to trap the ball any way it comes to you, and you learn how to pass the ball to the next player or into the goal, that's called shooting, 
then you become a good soccer player. It's very basic, isn't it? Um, it's frustrating to, to pass a ball to somebody who hasn't learned the basics. And then they turn the ball over to, to, to the other team. In basketball, it's also the same way. If you don't know how to dribble a ball, you better not get on the basketball court. It's a very basic thing. You, know, you got to know how to dribble the ball. You got to know how to, to shoot the ball. You got to know how to make your free throws. It used to bother me as I watched Shaquille O'Neal play basketball all those years in the NBA. As a basketball player myself, I'm like, how long can you play basketball and not learn the basic of how to make a free throw? It's called a free throw for a reason. <laughs> but he never got a free throw because he, he was always missing. His, his percentage was horrible. But the, the point is, you learn basics, you become good at something. Put that into academics, put that into your career, put that into any hobby, put that into relationships. Oh, we won't go there. But learn the basics of what God says and put them into practice in our lives and things get better. And that's true in the secular world and it's true in the spiritual realm. So look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we'll begin our reading in verse 11. But thou, O man of God. Now in our Bibles, there is a comma after but thou and there's a comma after God. The statement, O man of God, is directed particularly to this young man, Timothy. I wonder if a mentor in your life would be able to point out the fact that you are a person who's seeking to be a man or a woman of God. It's the only place in the New Testament where somebody is called a man or woman of God. This does not mean that Timothy was perfect. I think we all understand that. We're going to see that in a second. He's going to challenge him about his own sinfulness and how he can say no to his flesh and all of that. But it's important for us to understand, you ought to be characterized by a, being a man or a woman of God. There ought to be a distinctness about you and your character that shines to the people that are pouring into your life, your parents, your pastor, your teachers, even your friends that are trying to influence you should all know there's nothing more important in your life than being a man or a woman of God. And I hope that'll be true for you. Then he says this, flee these things. That's going to be point number one in a second. And follow, that's going to be point number two, after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Verse 12, say the first word. Fight, that's going to be point number three. The good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate, witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though the word is not there, point number four is faithful, faithful. All right, so here's, here's the outline. And, and no, I'm not gonna give you the outline and pray and be done. <laughs> but I wanna go ahead and give you the outline now. Flee, follow, fight, faithful. Say it together. Flee, follow, fight, faithful. This is the basics of the Christian life experience. The basic of you as a young person seeking to be a man or woman of God. The first basic truth is that we need to flee certain things. Now this word in our Greek text means to run away from or to escape or to see the danger at hand and to get ourselves away from it. Now when I think of this word flee, what I think about is what I do when I see a snake. I think people that like snakes are really weird people. Now, I think all creatures echo the praise of God. 
but the snake barely does. I don't like snakes. Down in Louisiana, we have a lot of snakes, and I'm not the one catching the snake, killing the snake, getting close to the snake. Um, we have all kinds of them down there, and we don't see them a ton, but when we do see them, I'm calling for my maintenance guy. I'm not the one. Call me wimpy. Call me scaredy cat. I don't really care. Snakes, when I think of snakes, this is the word I think of. I'm not getting close to any snakes. Is anybody with me on that? Years ago, my brother and I were behind our church in Kansas City, Tri-City Baptist Church, and we were in our high school years, and we were using these big, big weed whackers that you can put saw blades on. Some of you remember those. I don't know why they were giving those to a teenager, but it was a lot of fun. We were going through this thick brush, cutting through some, even some trees, some small trees with these things, you know, running those steel, steel uh, uh, weed whackers, and we came across a copperhead snake. I, I already told you my response to snakes is to drop back and flee and get away from it. I had a weed, weed eater in my hand, so the first thing I did is try to hit it with my weed whacker, but I didn't. And then I waved down my brother Mark, and I said, Mark, there's a, there's a, a copperhead, uh, I believe a copperhead in the grass over here. We got to step back. He was like, cool, let's catch it. <laughs> That'll tell you a little bit of the personality difference between Mark and Mike. And neither of us are laid back, but Mark is definitely more intense than than I am. You're like, oh boy, look out, right? (laughs) But he went over and he caught the snake. He really did that day. He stuck a a stick on the, some of you would do this. Some of you guys probably, you girls probably, well, maybe there'd be a girl in here who might want to catch a snake, but he put a forked uh, stick on on the neck of that snake and reached down and pinched behind the ears of that, uh, the ears. (laughs) They probably do have ears, but I don't know where they are. He pinched the neck of the snake and held it tight, and then he took it over and dangled it in front of the secretary's office. <laughs> Our youth pastor saw what was going on. He came out, and he said, Mark, if you mess with fire, you're going to get burnt. You've got to get rid of that snake. Let's take care of it. So we took that snake out into the parking lot, the paved parking lot. We got our maintenance director, who was out mowing grass uh, with this big Ford industrial tractor, and uh, we threw it out there, and some of you are like, cruelty to animals, or something, you know, but don't do this at home. But anyway, we, we threw the snake into the parking lot and uh, we, we ran over it with the tractor. <laughs> Chopped off its head, threw it in the dumpster. That's where snakes belong. That's where they belong. Flee! Get away from, run away from the danger of the, the snake. That snake was poisonous and uh, the devil's snake is poison too. Flee these things. Now what are we supposed to flee? Look back earlier in the text. It says in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, and doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Please read out loud the last phrase. From such withdraw thyself. You see that? Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, flip over there just for a moment. Common theme, chapter 2, 2 Timothy, flee also youthful lust. Chapter 3, we're going to look at another spot. Basic, basic command, flee. Flee from the sin and the corruption, corruption around us. Don't fall for the sensuality. Don't go after your selfish way. This is very common. We know this to be true. He's challenging this preacher boy. Hello, preacher boys. Don't mess with sin. Flee from it. This know also, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, read the last phrase, from such turn away. Folks, there ought to be a lot of good preaching still against sin these days. We got to stay away from sin. The problem with our popular Christian culture is we want to cuddle up to sin. We want to cuddle up to the world. Matter of fact, there's whole organizations and ministries that are saying that we ought to be like the world to win the world. We ought to be fleeing from the world and the corruptness of the world. Now, I think there's categorically three specific categories that he deals with in the books of 1 and 2 Timothy and even in these lists. One is called foolish talking. Notice how doting and strifes of words and several times in the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. And if you go to the book of Proverbs, the wisest man ever to live, one of the biggest um, um, issues that is dealt with in the book of Proverbs to people that want to be wise is watch what you say. One of the easiest ways to sin is with our tongue, isn't it? If I were today to say, how can you sin with your tongue? We'd probably have 20 to 25, maybe even closer to 30 or 35 different ways that we can sin with our mouth. Now we gotta be careful, little tongue, what we say. And we gotta flee words. Be careful with what's coming out of your word. Here's the truth of the, out, out of your mouth. Be careful with your words. There's not a word in your tongue, your tongue, but oh Lord, you knowest it all together. God knows every word that's coming out of your mouth. We gotta be careful with the words that come out of our mouth. And every word is meant to edify one another. Wouldn't that be different if at this college and in our lives, every single, and in our relationships, that every word that came out of our mouth was an edifying word, building up somebody else? If it's not edifying, it's probably not needed to be said. A good word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Be the type of individual that's godly because of the words that are coming out of your mouth. And we all know the words come from our heart. The, heart, the, the tongue is the dipstick to the heart. We understand that it's revealing what's going on in our life. So let's flee from foolish talking. Number two, let's flee from fleshly living. They had a form of godliness. They denied the power thereof. It said they were lovers of pleasure. Did you see that phrase? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. If that's not a description of American Christianity, I don't know what is. There's so many things out there, even some things that aren't necessarily bad things, that are taking the place of God. It becomes a bad thing if it takes the place of God. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. I just said that a moment ago. You come to camp or you go to other places as a Christian. It's all right to have fun. It's all right to laugh. We ought to laugh. We ought to have a good time. And uh, we ought to enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with having the right kind of pleasure. But he's talking about the wrong type of pleasure here. He's clearly saying you can't go after your fleshly pleasures. I tell you what, young people, this is something that's crucial for all of us. We ought to flee those fleshly lusts, those pleasures that come and are flying in our face. This secular society, this sensual society is filled with all kinds of fleshly pleasures. And we ought to live for the pleasure of God and the pleasure that's eternal, not the short-term sinful fleshly pleasure. 
Boy, we could talk a long time about that. She's talking to this young man, this man that wants to live for God. And I would, I would say that in this building right now, that if I were to ask you, do you want to be a man or woman of God? Everybody would raise your hand and say, I want to be a man or woman of God. You know what that does? It puts a huge bullseye on your back. And the devil's going to be after you. And he's after me. And he's after everyone in the back and everyone here on the, pulp, on, on the stage. And he, he knows if you want to live for God, he wants to war and fight a little harder after you because he's already got the heathen in his grasp. Now, we ought to go out in the, all the world and preach the gospel to take the, the gospel to those heathen so they can come to know Christ. But here's the reality. He can't steal your soul if you're a child of God. Praise the Lord. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But he sure can yield you ineffective. He sure can cause you to be a bad testimony to somebody else. He sure can, little by little, cause you to cover up and hide secret sin. And ultimately, and at the end, that is always made known. Be sure your sin will find you out. And I'm just saying, day in and day out, we, had a, we have to evaluate, are we fleeing fleshly lusts? Are we, or we, are we flirting with that? Are we kind of letting some of that into our life? It's the little things that spoil the bunch. And may God help us to be individuals that want so much to be godly that we flee fleshly lust. And then third, he talks about financial lust, fleshly living and then financial lust. Notice this text, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. The way you came into the world, it's pretty obvious, is the way you're going out. Can't take it with you, so stop being materialistic. He's calling Timothy to not be materialistic. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, how many of you have seen people in the world who are coveting after financial riches, right? That's what's driving their life. 80% of young people graduating from high school are making their college choice decision based upon where they can go get a degree that makes them the most money. That's proven in, in, in studies. That ought not be the Christian's heart. The Christian's heart is not where you can make the most money, but where you can have the most ministry, where God wants you, where he wants to use you. And the money will not satisfy. Story after story can be told of people who had all the money in the world and everything that the world would offer, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, yet they were still miserable enough to take their own life. It proves this verse to be true. We don't need that story, those stories, to prove that this is true, but those are illustrations of the fact that God's word is true. If you go after money and you make material possessions your love and pursuit and your focus, it is the root of all evil. Other evils are going to come out of that, and it will cause you to err from the faith. And so it's very important that we as young people and all of us as believers today we understand that's the poison that's in the grass. It's the snake that you don't want to pick up like my brother Mark picked up the snake. Flee these things. So basic truth. You're like, Brother Mike, we know we need to flee sin. That's right. We know we need to flee these things. That's right, we know it. But how faithful are we day in and day out at seeing those areas where we're falling and confessing sin on a regular basis and getting it back out of our life and fleeing from it? setting up boundaries and protecting ourselves and getting accountability and making sure in this sinful world, this corrupt world, we're pilgrims passing through and we're clinging to Jesus and the cross and the word of God, not to the love of this world. Flee these things. Number two, the Bible says not only to flee these things, but number two, what's the second word? Some of you remember, wrote it down. It is the word follow. 
Hey, preachers, don't you love it when the text is, I mean, the outline is given right in the text. And that's what, I mean, even, it's even alliterated for us right here. Flee, and then it says, follow. Now, I do believe, I already said, we ought to pound the pulpit, we ought to preach boldly, we ought to call it out, apply uh, sinful habits into even our day. Things that the Bible doesn't specifically talk about, we should still talk about because there's so much sensuality in the world. I'm all for preaching very strong against sin, I just said that. But I think we ought to have just as much, if not more, preaching on what we should follow after, what we should pursue, what's really going to satisfy our life, what's going to bring the joy, what's going to help our marriages in the future, those that aren't married, what's going to help our families, what's going to make us a good church member. What are we to pursue? What are we to make our highest priority? This word follow means to make it your highest pursuit. It's like a runner pursuing a finish line or like an athlete pursuing a gold medal. It is to make it the number one pursuit. Seek ye first. Seek ye what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And every believer here today needs to evaluate, are you following him first? Is he number one? Are you pursuing these things? And basically he gives us a laundry list that also is given in other places in the Pauline epistles. It is the fruits of the spirit. It's the evidence of a life that's identified in Christ, that's lived in the power of the spirit, that these things will be pursued and they will come out of our life on account of our pursuit and our relationship with God. I want that to be very clear today. These aren't things that we just work up in our own strength. These aren't things that come just because of our personality or our talent. These are things that come as we seek the face of God. These things will be priorities in our life as we seek the face of God and they will naturally abound and come out, the fruits of the Spirit. Notice what he says, righteousness and godliness. That could be summed up in a, in a wonderful word called holiness. We ought to pursue holiness. We just talked about that a little bit, but it, we ought to want to be as holy as we can possibly be. Be ye holy, for I am holy. This is why it's confusing to me that people are running against having standards when God calls us to be holy. I believe having standards and learning as a young person where to set those standards and boundaries for your life so that you can present yourself before the Lord as best as you know how in, in holiness. And without which no man can see the Lord, the Bible says. I wonder about these people that basically just say live however you want and call themselves a Christian. Is that really Christianity at all? It's not. We are to be pursuing and being holy. These two words have a twofold idea. One is the internal holiness and one is the practice of holiness. And I do believe it's important that we understand you can try to put on and practice holiness and not be holy. Right? That's called hypocrisy. And it's something that the Pharisees were condemned for, called out for. Hey, you, you think that... Uh, that some preachers are hard at calling out sin. What did Jesus say? You, sepulch, you are a whitened sepulcher. You're a snake in the grass. You're, I mean, he was pretty bold when he talked about uh, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So it's very important, young people, to understand you are not holy just because you obey the standards at Ambassador Baptist Bible College. You are holy when in your soul, your heart is to obey God, pursue God, put yourself under proper authority. And even if you wouldn't necessarily agree with every single standard, you're in the right frame of mind because your pursuit is after God. You know you're in the right place where God wants you and you're under the authority that God wants in your life. And so it's no big deal. They always bugged me growing up going, I went to a Christian college and the, the way people complained about the rules, I'm like, well, there's the door if you don't like the rules. There's other places you can go in this world. 
Well, stop complaining about the rules and just place yourself under the authority that God has for you. And God bless Ambassador Baptist College and any other college that's still willing to set standards and hold to them. Praise the Lord for that. But here's the deal. Just because you're in this college holding to those standards doesn't make you holy. You need to pursue standards of your own life that one day you'll follow through on and be faithful in. That's going to be our last word, right? Faithful. As we can say all day, I want to live for God and I want to be holy, but until we set up boundaries and we set up accountability and we set up standards for our life and for our family and for our future, for the church that we go to and for the ministries we'll be involved with and whatever, I tell you, we're not really holy until we start applying the, the, whole, the principles of holiness to help us stay away from the world, stay away from the flesh, instead of just what it seems to be very convenient today. Just do whatever you want, call yourself a Christian. That's not true Christianity at all. That's conveniently putting it back, the Otis, on us and not on the holiness of God. Wow, we could talk a lot more about that, but I'm just telling you, pursue holiness. The man or woman of God is gonna pursue holiness. I wanna, have, I wanna watch what I should watch. I wanna listen to what I should listen to. I wanna wear what I should wear. I wanna have relationships that are pleasing to the Lord. I don't wanna have a mind that's filled with corruption. I wanna be holy. Is that your attitude? Is that what you're pursuing? righteousness, and godliness. Then he says faith. Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So what we're doing today is seeking to build our faith as we all hear the word of God. As we read it, we think about it, meditate upon it. Although there's several that are struggling to fall asleep, they're not getting much out of the message yet. If you're struggling, I understand that. For most of us, hopefully, we're meditating, giving attention to the word of God today. By the way, it's very important in all of your Bible classes and in the preaching at the chapel. I, I appreciate what Brother Beal said when I, when I came in. He said, this is the most important part of our day. And so I, when you come into chapel and you hear the word of God, you're building your faith. You're saying yes to the word of God. That's how we grow our faith. Obviously, it comes through salvation, through Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel. But then day in and day out, we got to grow our faith. We have to have a faith that's unfeigned. He called Timothy, I have a faith that's unwavering. In a, in a culture, in a society that is coming against us with all the false religions, with all the false, even, quote, Christian religions that are out there, we better be firm in our faith. We got to know what we believe. And that comes from the Holy Word of God. Love the Bible. Learn more of the Bible. Live this, this wonderful book and God will bless you in your growth of faith and we ought to walk by faith and not by sight. When all is a mess around us because it's gonna be, we're pilgrims passing through, we need to be faithful to the word of God. Then he says follow after uh, faith and then he says follow after love. Proper faith flows into a life of love, a life of kindness. Love God and love others, the two greatest commandments. It's a simple, basic thing. If you aren't loving others properly, then you aren't loving God properly. It's the truth. I heard a preacher say one time in the pulpit, I'm just, my, my wife's the, the extrovert, I'm kind of introverted, and I don't even really like people that much. I was like, wait a second. You're not going to be a good pastor or, or preacher if you don't love people. And that takes work to lay aside ourselves, think not every man on his own things but every man also in the things of others. The people around you, go ahead, look at them. They ought to be more important than you. We naturally love ourselves, right? We came into the world patting ourselves on the back. Nobody has to tell us to love ourselves. The Bible even says that. No man uh, teacheth you to love yourself. We are naturally proud, naturally love ourselves. It takes work to love other people. 
But I want to encourage you, love God and love other people and pursue that out of the true genuineness of your heart and love for God. Boy, much more could be said there. Patience, he said, here's a little poem, patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women and never found in man. <laughs> I, I'm glad the men were laughing. The ladies probably say amen to that. No, men, we got, we got to work at our patience. Now, that's not the, the word here. It's not like uh, when you're in a, in a traffic jam and you're getting annoyed. That's not the word, patience here. This is steadfast and endur- endurance. This is when the going gets tough you just remain faithful. I was greatly, greatly encouraged by my dinner last night with uh, evangelist Jeremiah Clark. He's a personal friend of mine and has spoken for us at Southland. And uh, just, he's enduring well. Like, the, the trials are heavy in his life right now. Yet, just faithfully following after the Lord, patiently enduring, not even understanding what God is doing, but welcoming whatever God is doing through that hardship. That's incredible patience and endurance. We need to have that kind of patience no matter what. Hey, your test or your trial of your academic struggle is nothing compared to even that trial that he's going through. And you know what he said to me last night and I was encouraged by? He said, man, I'm not so bad off. I could be like those people over in Israel that Hamas attacked. I mean, it's amazing his perspective, and that's true. There's always others who have worse off condition than you. And and no matter what your condition, and we talked about the book of Job last night together, which has really been an impacting book in his life, I'm sure now, he said. And uh, he was talking about, like, really, maybe God put that book of Job in there uh, for us under inspiration because nobody had it as bad as Job. And yet he didn't curse God and die. He patiently endured. Wow, that's a great, great challenge to us in a dark day. When you look at our society and the culture and the corruptness of our political sector and the economy seems to be, gas prices keep going crazy, inflation, and everybody's talking about all these different things. uh, And it, it seems to be a mess. It can be easy to be discouraged, downtrodden. No, we just need to endure and be patient to the end, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Patience. And then he says meekness. We, you know this. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the opposite. It's strength under control. We live in a society that is downplaying masculinity, and it drives me nuts. We're, we're causing men to be very much more passive, and we're causing women, and this is, I believe, intentional of the devil, by the deception of the devil, we're causing women to be a lot stronger. It's a crazy culture we're living in. We're, we're not talking that this meekness shows up by us being passive, mamsy-pamsy, kind of wimp, wimpy Christians. This is not meekness. Meekness is the opposite of that. It's fueled confidence because it's fueled through the Lord, through the truth. So we can stand and do all to stand, as Ephesians 6 says. That's not passivity. No, that's, that's purposeful. And so I want to encourage you to take the strength of the Lord and to use it in the right spirit, speaking the truth in love, having the right positions in life, but having the right disposition in your spirit. That's very, very important that we shine the love of God even when we're standing vigorously for the faith and for the principles that we believe in. Know why you believe what you believe and don't back up from it. Speak it in love. This is meekness, living a meek life. This, is, this shows up in kindness, respectfulness, 
Honor to people, caring for people, it shows up in so many different ways. Meekness. Now these naturally flow out of the man or woman of God who is seeking the face of God. This is the fruits of the Spirit, and this is what we ought to pursue. Pursue God with all that you can pursue. Taste and see that he is good. Let the nature of God, the fellowship and relationship of God fuel these character traits in your life. Is that happening in your life? It's basic, isn't it? This isn't something new for us. All right, so we need to flee. I guess I need to go quicker on the last two points. We need to follow, and, and then in verse 12, fight. You're like, all right, Brother Mike, there it is. I want to just be a fighting fundamentalist, right? Or I just want to be a militant ministry person, like, bless God, I'm going to just, I'm just going to rip face. You know, sometimes preachers will joke like that. I have a preacher friend that comes and preaches at, uh, at Southland, and uh, he will say phrases like that. And, and we're not meaning we're going to genuinely rip face in the pulpit. Uh, and by the way, I don't think that's the good spirit in the pulpit, <laughs> is to rip face. No, that's not, you're, you're like, that, that's a, that fight sounds really, really fun. No, that's not what we're talking about, okay? We're not going out looking for fights, um, engage, and starting fights. <laughs> we're talking about the fight that's already going on. The fight is on. The battle now is raging. Uh, we could take some time to sing about 15 to 20 different songs that are in your hymn book that are all about being a soldier in the fight that's already going on. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. Sound the battle cry. See the foe is nigh. Uh, faith is a victory that overcomes the world. There's a one, some wonderful hymns I love. I absolutely love singing those hymns because it reminds us that we are in a battle. We're in a warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You can't turn on the news. You can't think about what's going on in the world right now. You can't think about even your own life without understanding there is a battle that is raging and we have to war the war. And it's a good fight, he says here. Why? Because we know who's going to win. We're on the winning team if you're on God's side. I don't say that tritely. How awesome would that be if you knew? Our coach would always want us to, to know, right, and, and play confidently like we know we can win this game. But when we went up against a team that was undefeated or had the Giants on the team and we were small, it was like coach would still try to get us to have that will to win and that fight that, to, to go out there and know that we could still beat them. And I love seeing those underdog stories. I love seeing the, the, the no-name teams, the Cinderella story, right? I love seeing those. We ought to always know that even though when the battle's fierce, we are on the winning side. God is for us. God is with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? This is why we, we, our, our job is to be faithful, which is the last point in just a moment. This is twofold, a personal fight and it's a public fight. And if you are properly personally fighting, you will naturally be publicly fighting for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he says this, and he relates back to his salvation. You witnessed, he, he talked about witnessing publicly before Pontius Pilate, he witnessed this good confession that talking about Jesus, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable under the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We be like Christ and we both personally and publicly fight for the cause of our God, the cause of the truth of the word of God, the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there not a cause? Now we be warriors for him, putting on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Basic, basic truth. 
the trapping and passing, the, the free throws in basketball, the dribbling, right? Or in golf, it's, it, well, there's a lot in golf, but the, the, the swing and different aspects of the swing or whatever sport you like to play, you learn basics and you become good at it. This is not new truth, but how well are we living the basics? We got to flee sin. We got to follow after the character, character of God. Let it be lived out of our life. And then we got to know that there's an enemy after us, the world, the flesh, and the devil that's seeking to destroy us. And we need to fight the fight. And point number four, that we keep this unrebukable unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Question, has the Lord Jesus Christ come yet? No. How many of you are looking forward to that day? And we ought to anticipate, we ought to work for him and, and watch for him and be uh, helping others during this time where we're waiting, looking for that, that coming of the Lord. And, and that's the city that we should long for. And I can't wait. Lord Jesus, come quickly. I tell you what, get us out of this messed up world. But until he comes, we need to be unrebukably obedient. We're, that's what he says here. When he says there, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14, that thou keep this, you obey these commandments without spot, unrebukable, under the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we, in, in all the, the muster of power and, uh, of God in our life, will seek to be as faithful as we can possibly be. My good friend Mac Lynch wrote the song years ago when I was a camp counselor at the Wilds Christian Camp. And, I, and it's a song that goes through my mind often, probably on a weekly basis. May the Lord... Find us faithful. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. May God help you. May God help me. May God help every soldier in here to be faithful to these basic things. Back to the basics. Let's say them together. Flee, follow, fight, faithful. May God help us to get back to the basics.